Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Amen. Well, hey, big, uh, big welcome to those who are here in the room and a particular welcome to those who are joining us online, wherever you are, whether it's in your living room, your kitchen, you're listening on, uh, online in the car, wherever it may be, it's great to have you joining in and part of uh, today. Well, today we are at uh, week five in our eight-week series and journey through the book of James. And it has been a fantastic time. So we've just kind of jumped over the halfway mark and we're on our way into the end of the book and where James is kind of uh, heading. So we're going to dive straight in today. So uh, James chapter 3, that's where we're stopping today. So James chapter 3, you can go ahead and turn to James 3 as we look at how we are called today to walk the talk, end hypocrisy and embrace an authentic faith. That's kind of where we're going today, and that's what James is really all about. Now, I've titled today's message, Talk the Talk, not just Walk the Talk, because we're looking at James's teaching today primarily on the tongue and how it is that we can watch our words today. You see, our culture, our culture loves to talk doesn't it? It loves to talk. We have talk shows, talk back radio, social media and podcasts today. Everyone is, a, you know, is doing podcasts so that they can talk and share content out there. And our words matter. Our words matter. Uh, there are famous words, aren't there? Famous words like Bond, James Bond, One Small Step for Man, One Giant Leap for... Well done, see, isn't, we're getting this. Uh, life-changing words like, I love you, uh, will you marry me, or congratulations, you've got the job. Confronting words like, I think you might need to sit down, or I have a confession to make. Or words we all love to hear if you go to Hague's and you buy your chocolate there and the lady or the man behind the desk says to you, would you like a sample? (laughs) You see, words create worlds. You know this, I know this. With just one word, you can inspire a word of hope in someone's life or you can bring someone's world crumbling down. We know this to literally be the case because in Psalm 33, 9, we read that God, what? He spoke and the world came into being. For when he spoke, the world began, it appeared at his commands. The God that we serve is a God who communicates. He's a God who speaks. But apparently our words also make a world of difference for rice. Did you know this? Do you know that our words make a difference for rice? Has anyone heard back in 1990, uh, Japanese Dr. Masuru Emoto, uh, he conducted a very simple little experiment using three jars filled with rice and water. Anyone familiar with this? Yeah, a few people are, great. He labelled the first jar, thank you. He labelled the second jar, you're an idiot. 
And he left the third jar blank and just ignored it. And every day for 30 days, Dr. Emoto went to the jars and said, thank you, and complimented the first jar. To the second jar, he went and said, you're an idiot, and criticised it. And he just ignored the third jar altogether. At the end of the 30 days, Emoto claims that the thank you jar was puffy rice and gave off a beautiful aroma as it began to ferment. The you're an idiot jar turned black and the rice in the ignore jar became rot, became all rot and mouldy. Now, despite some of the question marks that some of you have around the legitimacy and the reliability of this test, in, in fact, you can actually go, if, if you want to experiment, don't do this now, do this in about 30 minutes' time, go um, onto online and you can see uh, lots of people have tried this and interestingly, a lot of people have come up with the same uh, results, so school kids and all sorts of people have, uh, have tried this. But regardless of your question around the reliability of this test, there is no mistaking the fact of this, that our words matter. My words matter, your words matter. Our words, spoken or written, hold within themselves a tremendous power for good or evil. What is Proverbs 18.21? It says the tongue holds the power of life and death. Wow. You and I know this to be true because some of you remember things said to you when you were a child and you've never been able to forget them. Maybe it was a compliment by a teacher. Or maybe it was a critical comment from a classmate. And it has shaped your story from that point onwards to today. You see, how we speak as a follower of Jesus is a real big deal for James. This is critical stuff for James. And for James, he says that the way we speak is a key indicator of genuine, authentic following of Jesus, whether you are a genuine Christian. Have a look at what he says back in chapter 1, verses 27. He says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, what? Deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. This is confronting stuff for all of us, isn't it? If we claim to be a Christian, but we talk about people behind their backs, or we use our words to cut people down, James says this, James says, your religion, your faith is worthless. It is useless. It counts for nothing. Now, this was a problem 2,000 years ago when James wrote this letter. But let's be honest, this is a problem still today, right? It's still something that hurts and ruins our lives. It ruins and divides churches, our families, and it ruins our witness. And James says this to us really straightforward today. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. It's got to end. Now, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're here today and this is even your first time here with us or you've just been journeying with us and you're, you're hearing this and you're going, you know what, I don't really know you, Dan, the guy who's up there talking or, or online, I don't really know you, but do you know what, that's one of the reasons why I've never put my trust in Jesus. One of the reasons why is because I've heard Christians before speak and what they've said hasn't actually matched what they believed. Or I've actually heard Christians and their language, what they say is actually more harsh, more careless, more reckless than what I've heard other people who don't profess a faith to have. This matters. 
And so my hope is today that as we go through today, that we will actually see, and if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you'll actually see what the, what the Bible says and what actually James, the brother of Jesus, says and teaches us as Christians in terms of how we're meant to believe and how, what we're meant to actually say. And I pray that it'll help you today. And for the rest of us, I pray that what it will do is it will actually help us to close the gap between our faith, what we believe, and our behaviour, what we actually say and do. That's where we're going today. You ready to go? James 3, 1 to 2. James begins, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So James begins here with a warning for would-be pastors, preachers or teachers. So RBC preaching team, leaders, connect group leaders, others, lean into this, all right, because this is, this is for you. While teaching and preaching is a noble task, worthy of double honour, the Bible says, no one should rush into this kind of role, James says. No one should chase after authority. No one should chase after platform. Why? Because it is highly responsible work and teachers are held to the strictest standards. You see, as teachers and preachers, we have the opportunity to stand up here or in lounge rooms and to share the good news of the gospel, the good news that lives can be changed in Jesus' name. But there's a dark side of that too, that we can actually communicate in a way that causes harm. So as preachers and teachers, let us be those who honour God's word, take communicating it seriously. But if you're thinking, fuel, uh, so glad I'm not on the preaching team here, uh, then uh, not so fast. All right, not so fast, because what James is saying here is not just limited to those of us who may stand on here or who may lead on a, in connect groups or might even teach out in children's ministry or whatever. James is using this as a launching pad to warn us all today, you and the person sitting next to you, all of those who are online, to warn us all about the importance of our tongue and the responsibility we have to use it well and wisely. And never before has this been more important, because never before has it been so easy for you and I to voice our opinions or to express ourselves to thousands of people with just the push of a button. We live in a cultural moment where people are seeking after platform and seeking after influence. Any of us be can become an influencer overnight with the right content and a ring light. This is how easy it is. Our culture encourages us to talk more and to listen less, to create content and to share it with the world. Never before have you and I had such immense power to use words. And with this power comes great responsibility and accountability for what we say. Jesus, Jesus said this, and you can imagine, can't you? You can imagine James and Jesus you know, together having conversations in their lounge room around all of this. But Jesus says, But I tell you that everyone, will everyone, not just some people, Everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Con condemned. So, 
How can we use our tongue in a wise way? Well, we need to first understand a few home truths about our tongue. And firstly, James wants us to actually understand how powerful this thing actually is. And that's where he goes first. Take a look, verse 3 to 5. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set afire by a small spark. James' point here is very, very clear. The tongue may be small in size in comparison to other body parts. It's not as big as a leg. But don't you think that the tongue is insignificant? Don't ever think it's insignificant. Never underestimate the power of the tongue just because it is small in size. Like a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship or a spark in a forest, it has the ability to direct the direction of your life. I'm sure right now you can think of things that you have said or perhaps you haven't said that have changed the path of your life for the better, but perhaps also for the worse. While the tongue is powerful and it can be used for good, and you can look at some of the Proverbs or other Psalms to to look at that, unfortunately, its impact is generally destructive. And that's where James goes next. James continues in verse 6 to 8 and he says, The tongue is also a what? A fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. He's not, he's not kind of dulling this down, is he? It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James says our tongues are a fire ready to set things ablaze. Now, as a state, as a nation... This is an illustration that is close to home for us, isn't it? We, 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 we know this. We've experienced this before. Early this year, we saw the effect and damage of the Cherry Gardens bushfire, which left a trail of destruction behind it, with buildings, vehicles and houses destroyed. And in December 2019, we saw the Cuddly Creek fires, which destroyed hundreds of homes, killed over 4,000 animals, devastated hectares of vegetation and it took the life of my best mate's father-in-law. Such devastating effects for something that began with a spark as a tree fell on a power line. And this is what James wants you and I to see. He wants us to see that harsh words spoken to our spouse, juicy gossip that we just pass on, exaggerating a story about someone else. All of this can seem small and harmless, but as the old song says, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You see, by our speech, we can ruin the world, we can ruin our families, 
We can turn harmony to chaos. We can throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it ourselves. Church, be careful what you say. Be careful with your words. But can I also say, be very careful what you say to yourself too. Watch your self-talk. Because often we are our own harshest critics, aren't we? What are the lies that you are telling yourself? What are the lies that are, you are speaking that are actually destroying you? And then James finishes this section saying that as humans, we've been able to tame a tiger. We've been able to teach dolphins to play ball. But no one has been able to tame the tongue. Now, if you're already feeling convicted, well, uh, James doesn't let you off the hook. He keeps on kind of throwing these little gut punches as he goes. And his next punch kind of hits pretty hard. Next, he tells us the reason why we have so much trouble controlling our tongue. And it's not pretty. Take a look. James 3, 9 to 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James begins... By saying this, he says, church or fellow believers, we cannot be lifting up our creator God in praise on Sundays, but then cutting people who have been created in, in, in his image down on Monday with our words. We cannot do that. It is not on. This is hypocrisy and it must end. He then goes on and he gives a few illustrations from creation to highlight an important principle for us. And essentially what James is saying is this. He's saying, a salt spring can say, I'm a freshwater spring, but if it tastes salty, then it's not a freshwater spring at all, despite what it claims. Or a tree can say, hey, I'm an apple tree, all they want. But if that tree produces strawberries... Guess what? It's not an apple tree. And this is James's point here. Our words are a window into what we truly worship. This is where James is going. Or we could say it another way. Nothing reveals the spiritual temperature of our heart more than our tongue. Nothing reveals the spiritual temperature of our heart more than your tongue. You know, Jesus, Jesus said a similar thing, didn't he? No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This is a scary principle. This is a scary truth, isn't it? 
When James and Jesus speak of the heart here, we need to recognise something. They're not just talking about the organ, all right? Neither are they just talking about emotions. What James and Jesus are talking about here when they talk about their heart is they're talking about the seat of our core values and priorities, our loves, our affections, our deepest desire. And they're saying whatever occupies that seat in our lives, whatever is central in your life will shape how you speak. Think about it this way. Think about the person who regularly boasts of their achievements or talks themselves up. What's going on? It's the overflow of a heart that is trying to find their sense of value and worth and significance in what they do or in what they accomplish. Their words are an overflow of a heart that perhaps hasn't fully found its identity, worth, value and significance as a loved child of God. Or consider the person who is regularly short and harsh with their words and supercritical and insulting of others. What's going on? It's the overflow of a heart that is, a, that is angry and bitter. Their words are an overflow of a heart that hasn't fully, perhaps, experienced the fullness of God's forgiveness for them. I wonder, what is your heart, or what is your tongue, sorry, revealing about the state of your heart? What is your tongue revealing about the state of your heart? So, given how popular uh, and how, sorry, how powerful and destructive our tongue is, what do we do about it? Do we just chop it off? Do we just walk around in silence and, and never speak? Well, no, we don't, do we? The answer is that we need wisdom. We need wisdom, and that's where James goes next. Take a look. And this is not a random thought or a change of gears for James. This is God's, he understands that God's wisdom is the key to bringing our tongue under control. He says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their what? Good life. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now we live in an information rich world. That's what, we, that's what we live in. Wisdom is almost always, in our culture, equated with intelligence and education. When we think about who is wise, what do we do? We tend to think about those who are the smartest, most educated or the most intelligent people in the room. But James says, no, if you're looking for wisdom, don't look for the cleverest person. Look for the one with the what? With the good life. Look for the one where you can evidence deeds that are done in humility. James says, do you claim to have wisdom? Do you claim to be wise? Then prove it. Prove it. That's James's whole thesis around his whole book here, really. It's if you claim to have faith, if you claim to be wise, if you claim to be able to tame your tongue, then prove it. Prove it. You see, real wisdom is something that is seen, not merely something that is spoken. James goes on and he speaks about two competing wisdoms that are at work in this world. And he says, one comes from heaven, one comes from earth. One is spiritual, one is unspiritual. One is from God and the other is from the devil. James 3. But if you harbour bitter envy, this is 14 to 16, but if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts... 
Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every type of evil practice. James speaks first about wisdom that gives rise to bitter envy or jealousy and selfish ambition. He says that this wisdom is not really wisdom at all. It is wisdom that comes from, it is unspiritual, it is earthly and it is demonic. And this wisdom, do you know what it's bent on? It is bent on causing division and destruction and disorder in the church. Envy is such a subtle sin, isn't it? Because it holds you back from God's purposes and your mission. You see, envy, when you envy people, do you know what happens? When you envy people, you get so fixated on what you don't have or what you are not that you miss who you are and the unique gifts that God has given to you and how you can use them and serve him for his glory and for the good of the community. I wonder, is there bitter envy in your heart? Who are you jealous of? Is envy sitting on the seat in your heart and shaping the words that come out of your mouth? What about selfish ambition? When selfishness and ambition come together, this is a recipe for disaster. Selfish ambition starts innocently enough because most of us, we just want to be better known. We want to be loved, valued, and we just want to be appreciated more than what we are. And that's not wrong. But here's the deal. If that is left unchecked, we curve in on ourselves and much of our motivations then become self-honouring and self-advancing, not God-honouring or God-surrendering. So how might you know? How might you know if selfish ambition is taking root in your heart or if you are harbouring, as James says, selfish ambition? Well, here's a few thoughts. Failure is terrifying to you. Do you find failure terrifying? You use people to get you where you want to go. If you're doing that, there's a pretty good chance that selfish ambition is rooted in your life. You take the credit for everything positive. You're always comparing yourself to others. The need to win is greater than the need to love. You're always insecure. You see... Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart. Everyone ends up at everyone else's throat and division and disorder rule. I wonder, is selfish ambition showing up in your life? Did any of those resonate with you? Is selfish ambition impacting the things you say and how you live? Well, Jesus now goes on and he speaks about the second type of wisdom that is at work in this world, and that is the wisdom that comes from above, that is heavenly wisdom. He says this in verses 17 to 19. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and 
sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So what does a life shaped by heavenly wisdom look like? Well, it doesn't look like theological degrees on your wall. Wisdom is a quality. James says wisdom is a competency. Wisdom is a behaviour. Wisdom from heaven has effects. It can be seen and shows itself in good conduct. James says this is what a life of wisdom does. Have you noticed that? Not just is, but this is what a life of wisdom does. It does gentleness. It is responsible. It overflows with mercy and blessings. It is not hot one day and cold the next. It is not two-faced and it is characterised by peace, fostering harmony, completeness and wholeness in the church. A few questions for you. Do your words reveal a heart shaped by heavenly wisdom? Do they look like this? Or earthly wisdom, envy, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. If someone looked at your life today, would they see traits, practices and behaviours that come from heaven, from heavenly wisdom? Or would it look more like traits and behaviours and words that come from earthly wisdom? Church, James has laid down a challenge for us today. Hey, this is not easy teaching. I, I appreciate that. This is not easy teaching. He's called us today, hasn't he, to tame our tongue, to change our hearts, and to live a life of good conduct. And perhaps you're sitting here today going, Dan, um, man, I, I just don't measure up. <laughs> okay. I don't measure up. I can't, I can't do this. I'm struggling to do any of this. Well, here's the truth. You can't do it. You can't do any of this. You can't tame your tongue. James has already told you that. You can't change your heart. You've tried. You can't live a good life just by trying harder. All of this is out of reach for you and is out of reach for me. But you know what? There is good news. And the good news is this, that there is one who did. There is one who can. And that is Jesus. Jesus is the what? The Word made flesh. He is the one who has come down from heaven. He is the one whose speech is perfectly true. Have a look at what James says in James 3.2. He says, if you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person, the perfect in perfect control, in perfect control of life. Church, Jesus is this person. He is the only truly perfect one who was in perfect control of his life and he perfectly chose to lay down his life for you and I. Have a look at what Isaiah 53, 7 says. It says, he was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and a she like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Jesus 
justice miscarried and he was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of the people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man. And listen to this. Even though he never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Church, Jesus tamed his tongue and he stood accused. But before he breathed his last, he spoke one word. One word. One word that spoke of the change that he was about to make in this world. And it is this word, tetaleste. Tetaleste. It means it is finished. Jesus became the perfect and final sacrifice for all sin. And through his death, the work of salvation was finally complete. And our debt of sin was paid for once and for all. So how can our hearts change? How can we change? How can our hearts be cleansed so that there's only fresh water flowing out of our mouths? Well, it's only by fixing our attention and our affections onto him. Only he can tame our tongues and only he can change our hearts. Remembering him frees our heart and it enables us to live like him. You see, the more confidence we have in the gospel, that we are set free, that Jesus has done it all, that the gospel is not due but it's done, that our salvation is complete and full. And you know what? The less that we'll feel a need to tear people down with our words so that we look better and the more that we will go on and that we will seek out and live out the wisdom of heaven. Would you stand with me today? I want to come and pray. And I want to pray that the Spirit of God would be we're changing our hearts, that we would be able to see Jesus, that we would know this truth, that it is finished, that salvation is complete, and that the wisdom of heaven would come upon each and every one of us today. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for, the, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the perfect one, He is the one who silently stood accused, who spoke words that said it is finished so that we could find life, joy and peace and that we could be those who have our hearts changed through the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray that for each of us today, we confess today that we need you We confess today that we need more of you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would put our attention onto you, our focus on you, that you would be, that we put our affections onto you today. So, Lord, I pray that you'd come and change our hearts so that we can change how we speak. Lord, where we need convicting today, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring that conviction. And that you would cause us to watch our words, to put a tight rein on our tongue, as James says. And to use our words to see people flourish, to see people lifted up. 
Lord, I pray that there will be no people who can say as they look at us that they haven't followed Jesus because of the inconsistencies that there are between our beliefs and what we say. Lord, we want to be those who close the gap. So I pray for each of us here that even right now your spirit would be helping just to bring what we say and what we believe closer together. Lord, I pray that we today would become more authentic and genuine followers of you. Lord, may we declare words that bring life, not death. Words that bring blessing, not cursing. And so, Spirit of God, we thank you. Speak to us continually now. Speak with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to close today and sing. We're going to sing a song. It's just a simple prayer, really. It just prays that the Lord, what is done in heaven, his will, would be done on earth. And I pray that this would be something that we would pray, that you would pray, and that you would ask that the Spirit of God, his, his will would be done in your life and through you to see this world impacted in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.